This morning we we want to be in First uh, John chapter two. And I think uh, as we start to get out of the second chapter, we're going to ultimately start at verse 18. But I want to say something. Um, I want to say something about verse 17, and this world is passing away in the lust thereof, or the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Now, what is the will of God? Well, we know that the will of God is that we would have a relationship through him, through the Lord Jesus Christ. That nobody comes to the Father but by him. That it was God's will that we would turn to his Son and be forgiven of all of our sins, that we would receive the gift of eternal life, and we could go on. Because those outside of Christ, they're passing away with the world. And I'll say this to begin with, um, that word eternal life, as we talked about last week, God uses the term eternal life like no other area of comfort and, and validity to the child of God. Eternal life means that life of God within every child of God, that special life, that life indeed, that life that is going to go on in joyful bliss and fellowship and being with our Father in heaven. When we talk about the, the, the ones that reject Christ that ultimately end up in the lake of fire, we're not. the Bible doesn't speak of that as eternal life. Yes, they will live forever. But they will live forever uh, in, in sin and death and torment and suffering. But eternal life, that's why the Bible says that God promised us eternal life. That eternal life is with the Father and with the Son. That life is that special life of God himself. That life is joyous, it's, it's just joy unspeakable. It is without sin. It is abundant. It is flowing. I believe that that's life, and that's life that Jesus is talking about in ten ten. We have that life, eternal life, abiding in us. <clears throat> Up to this point, we've spoken about the fact that in the first part of this chapter, that He's not only our advocate, verse one. He's one that pleads our cause before the Father and before our accuser. He's also the one that uh, we can also say that he is our defense attorney. He is the one that defends the position that we have in him because he took upon the sins of the world. How do we know that? Look at the second verse, remember? We know that because of that word propitiation, which is a, is a wonderful word that just basically says that he is the satisfying sacrifice. His sacrifice satisfied a holy God on your and mine's behalf. We get a glimpse of the word abiding in chapter, or excuse me, verse 6. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk as he walked. So we're starting an area in the word that we see that there is a difference between those that say 
a great thing, and those that possess the life of God. Those that are still dead in their sin, those that are still walking, uh, no matter how refined they try to be, no matter how religious they try to be, no matter how Christian they try to be, versus the one that has the very life of God in them, eternal life, the life of God. There is a huge difference. So right away he starts off this area that he who abides in him, verse 6, chapter 2, ought himself also to walk just as he walked. We ended last week at verse 15. Do not love the world and the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. We, we kind of went through that real quick. I had a testimony of my, <laughs> my grandfather. But, you know, the lust of the flesh, just desire for sinful pleasures or, or sensual pleasures, whatever that may be. The lust of the eyes refers basically to covetousness or materialism. What, what, what I set my eyes on is what I want. Whether it's my next door neighbor's wife or whether it's, you know, I remember one time I, uh, I was interviewing a man for a position and um, it, it kind of shook me because I never heard this before, but I appreciated it. I, you know, you always ask, you know, ask the potential candidates where they want to be in a year or five years, you know. So as a good, as a good manager, I said, well, where, where do you want to be in a year? I want to be sitting in your desk. You wanted my job, you know. Um, that's that is, and that was was great because, uh, by the way, he did not get the job, not because of that, but it, it shows ambition and everything. But the lust of the eyes, covetousness, the materialism. What was not uh, the lust of the eyes roaming around in the heart of David when he was on the roof looking at Bathsheba when he should have been out doing the Lord's business? The pride of life refers to being proud about one's position in this world, or one's accomplishments. Look what I did. Look what I did. Perfectly example in Luke chapter 12 about the rich man, you know, and all his barns and everything. You fool, this night your, your soul is required. Then whose things these things going to be, and so forth. So it's very, it's very obvious. If you look at the lust of flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, that, you know, you can have somebody professing Christ, not having the life of Christ, and, and these are abounding in their life. But he's going to go on and show us that the, that the very nature of abiding in Christ, these things are, are ebbing away. Very practical. My little children, this is what I want and desire of you. Jesus just didn't die to just leave us alone. And one day, oh yeah, there's, I forgot, there's Jeff Graham out there. I'm going to grab him. Because I, you know, 2,000 years ago or whatever, I died for him. No, he is so involved with my life. He is so involved in your life. That he calls us and he bids us to abide in him. He calls us to, to, to abide in him just like as your luscious fruit out in your backyard abides on the vine. That's how much he wants us to be. He says, without me you can't do nothing. Uh, we're going to be uh, a little bit later looking at John chapter 15. And it's amazing how John here is correlating what Jesus said. You know what? A wonderful thing. When Jesus was, was about ready to go, he said, there's much things I have to say to you. You cannot bear them now, okay? And yet we see them explained in the epistles. We see them explained through his apostles. We see them explained in the word of God. So we come to verse 18. Little children. I love that. 
Little children. It is the last hour. Or it's the last time, if you read the King James. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour or the last time. Let me read on a little bit. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but that they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, or an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. That's important right there. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, verse 21, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Now the main part of, of this message this morning will be in, from verses 24 through 29, but I want to explain and go into this just a little bit. For all we know that the will of this uh, present age, back in verse 17, is passing away. We know that the Bible speaks several areas, but one more pointly than others. In Psalm 119, verse 89, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. It's God's will that we enter a life, His life, and this only way to enter it is through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's God's will that we will enter his presence with new bodies, live forever with him, and glorify him forever. Let me, let me say this before we get into to, uh, the heart of this message right now. To be consumed with this life is to be unprepared for the next. Now, I know a lot of people will say, well, wait a minute, we're, we're, we're saved only by the blood of Christ. True. True. But we have been given uh, admonitions all through the Word of God, not only to study the Word of God, not only to know the Word of God, not only to live out the Word of God, not only to take up the opportunities we have, but I believe with all my heart that the more we learn of the Word of God here, because after all, it's settled forever in heaven. This Word of God, the more we would learn about it here, the more fit we will be to do whatever God has us to do up there. You know, we're not just going to get to heaven and, and be on some cloud or something. You know, we're going to work in heaven. We're going to be doing something. We're going to be co-reigning with Christ. And if His Word abides forever, and is forever settled in heaven, Jesus said, My words will not pass away. And so the more we understand the Word of God and the more we understand and get to know our Lord here will only uh, facilitate, if you will, our position uh, in the heavenlies. If I'm reading an eternal Word of God, I want to know as much of it as I can now. <laughs> you know? um, I just do. I don't want to be consumed with this life. Because the Bible makes a pointed statement that 
If I have been raised with Christ, to seek those things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. For you have died, and your life is hid with Christ in God. And then it says, when Christ, who is our life, will appear, and you will appear in glory. But what does that say? It's, read it. It's in the first three cha- uh, verses of Colossians chapter 3. When Christ, who is our life, appears. You can't get around the fact that, yes, we have a position in Christ as born ones, as intimate ones, as ones that are free of condemnation, but those that are going to be not only chastised by the Father, but those that are supremely loved as children. And I know that the truth that we are reading here is is of a love, the love of a father. You know, because... I just had to do it again the other day to my grown child. Do we ever as parents stop admonishing and and teaching and warning and instructing and and correcting our children? No, we don't. That's what God is doing here as well. He tells us of the love that he has for us, of the fact that we have been forgiven, of the fact that we have this fellowship with, with God He tells us we're going to be looking at the word abiding in this latter part of chapter 2. We're going to look at a little bit of the first time that the word antichrist is is admitted, if you will, in the letters here, as we're going to look at this 18th verse. But then, then he'll go over to the fourth chapter, and what does he do right away? Son, let me tell you, don't believe every spirit out there. Okay, because the one that has the Son has the Father also. But the one that believes that Jesus is not the Christ, don't believe every spirit out there. You have good orders out there that will slip in lines. Be aware of them, you know. I remember my father worked at a place down in, uh, I think it was Santa Ana. It was down in Southern California years and years ago, and they were laying uh, cable for a sound system for this big mall and stuff that we're gonna that was gonna be going up, and, and it was in this field. And this field down there at that time was in the early sixties, and it had rattlesnakes all over the place, and they were warned, you know, and, and people went in there of these rattlesnakes. Okay, if if they weren't warned about them or they didn't know about them, the danger was there, and they wouldn't have known it. But, but here we're warned about the rattlesnakes. We're warned as, as, as young believers, old believers. You know, we, we just read, did we not? Look at chapter 2, verses 12, 13, and 14. You know, fathers, strong young men, you know. We're warned as, as born ones of these pleasures, or these dangers that, that, would, uh, that would trip us up. So back in verse 18, back in chapter 2, little children, it is the last hour. You heard that Antichrist is coming. Let me tell you something. Even now, there are many Antichrists. And by the way, the fact that this is the first mention of the Antichrist, we know that this is the last hour. I want to read you something out of Second Thessalonians. And you know one thing that we have gone through, when, when you do go through the, the Bible verse by verse, you tend to hit on every uh, topic, and, and you know it's so easy not to, not to miss anything. But let me just read something to you real quick 
about this Antichrist. And, and John will talk about the spirit of Antichrist as well. What is, it, is that? What does it mean? We all know that the Antichrist is going to be is going to predominantly show himself who he really is in the second half of the tribulation period. Remember when Jesus even said that that one who's desolate will go in there and will make desolation. He is the Antichrist. The Anti not only means uh, opposed to Christ, but it also means in the place of Christ. The strong delusion that this false prophet is going to, is going to you know, to see the whole world as of this man, but we will see who he really is. The really ultimate end of Satan is to be worshipped. But listen to this. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, starting verse 3. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And that man of sin, the Antichrist, the beast, and so forth, is revealed, the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? So we see one, he's is coming in, it's a lawless one. And he says over in verse 8, he says, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy the bride of his coming. This coming of this lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. All unrighteous and deception. Deception of those who perish. So I'm telling you this, it's the last hour. And by the, by, the, by the very virtue I'm telling you of this, we know it's the last hour. Beware, he's coming. And, and this one, that is coming. But I'll tell you what, the spirit of this one is here now. It's here right now. Verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Now that does not mean somebody leaves a, deno- leaves a denomination or, or you know leaves a church. He's talking about leaves the body of Christ, the revealed truth, the body of revealed truth. I love what C.I. Schofield says about this verse. He said, they went out from us, that is doctrinally. Doubtless then as now, this was written in 1907 when he made this comment. Doubtless then as of now, the deniers of the sun still call themselves Christians. The deniers of the sun still call themselves Christians. The spirit of Antichrist. You know, if we don't know, if we are not confident of who our Lord is and we are abiding in him, we, there is a deception out there that is very, very powerful. But they, again, the last part of verse 19, but they went out of us, that they might be made manifest that that none of them were of us. Wow. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1.21, he says, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ has anointed us is God. Well, simply, brethren, let's just stand forever against any church or organization or, or sole authority. Our sole authority is of God. Let's 
forever stand against those that want to take an outside understanding, those that want to make up an opinion, those that say, well, I think this says that. That's another thing that we must understand, again, before we continue on in the study. I won't let it any other way. We must look at the Word of God from not only His His point of view, his perspective, but we all need to take that triangle again and put it upside down and take the whole word of God and then when it comes down to that fine point, that upside down triangle and rest on whatever we're doing. Otherwise, it is so easy to build a doctrine. That's exactly what the Jehovah's Witnesses do. Do you want to see the active part of the spirit of Antichrist? It's right at your door all the time. It's that spirit that comes in. They... They'll say that Jesus is the Savior. I've even had some tell me that Jesus is the Son of God. But what Jesus? Not the Jesus of the Bible. They will deny that Jesus is the Christ. And we'll get into that in a little bit. That is the spirit of Antichrist. So we, you know, you read some of this stuff and you go, wow, that's dark and sinister. And, you, and, you, and this is happening today. This is happening in the first century. This is happening today. It is no different today. In fact, the Bible says men will go from bad to worse, from being deceived to deceiving. It's, 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 we're all, this all false religion is, is deceitfulness is heading to this one world religion of Antichrist. He says, you have anointing, verse 20, from the Holy One, and you all know all things. He says, look, verse 21, I've not written to you because you do not know the truth. I've written you because you do know the truth. He is writing to his beloved children in the faith. And he is saying that I am writing to you, I want to bolster your faith. I'm writing to you because you know it. And the precedent is, is that you must study the real thing. So when a counterfeit looms on the horizon, you will know it in an instant. I told you about that story about years ago, how they used to do it in the banks. I don't know why they do it now. They used to teach their television stuff to study the real dollar bill. So when the counterfeit comes by, they know it in an instant. Have you ever gone to the store when they sit there and look your dollar bill up in the light? That's what they're doing. They know what the real looks like, or they should, so that the counterfeit looms on the horizon. We, by now, should be so knowledgeable about the Word of God, or at least knowledgeable about our relationship with Jesus Christ and who He is, that if somebody or anybody comes in here, we should be able to catch it. Unfortunately, that's not taking place in a lot of, of areas. But it should be. And John's saying, I'm writing these things to you, not because you don't know the truth. You know what John's saying here? I'm the pediatrician. Okay? Those have gone before the, the obstetrician. In other words, those that bring the ones to birth, you know. I'm writing to you as a pediatrician. I'm writing to you because you do know the truth, and, and I want you to grow in the truth. I want you to know the truth. You know, growing in Jesus Christ means we increasingly abide in him. Our position is in him, but we abide in him. We walk as he is, is it was walk as he walked. When we get into chapter 3, we're going to see so much more. You know, verse 6, he who abides in him. You know, verse 9, whoever is born of God does not continue to sin, and on and on. But he's saying that I'm writing these things to you because you do know the truth.
Look at verse 22. Who's a liar? But he denies that Jesus is the Christ. He's Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. You know, the blatant rejection of Christ as the Messiah is also rejection of his incarnate deity. In other words, those that reject that Jesus is the Christ are rejecting his deity. In other words, they are saying that Jesus, he was a good God. Jesus might be one of many gods. Jesus is a good moral teacher or what have you. They are denying that he is God in human flesh. That's what that is. Let's look at this closely. Who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Let's break this down. Christ, meaning the anointed one. Christ is his, his, he's the eternal son of God. Christ is the eternal son of God. Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ. Jesus was his earthly name. Christ is his heavenly uh, position. Who he is, he is God. So to, to deny that Jesus of Nazareth is God in human flesh is the spirit of Antichrist. Think about that the next time Joel's witness comes to your door and says, you know what? We used to have that little, uh, and Tom got it, it's awesome, a thing called uh, the foundation, Jesus Christ, the foundation, remember that? It looks like a headstone. And we used to have it sitting in the, in the front there right by the door. And, I, and one, day, one day we had Joe's Witness come and, and she's all, it was a, a two girls and she's all, oh, wow. She goes, that's great. You, you believe in Jesus too, huh? I said, yeah. I said, absolutely. We started talking. Well, I knew better, but, it, but it's, it's soon it comes out that they're talking about Jesus, but they're not talking about the Jesus of the Bible. Because the Jesus of the Bible, the story of Jesus of Nazareth, is God clothed in human flesh. And you can't take away his humanity and still talk about his deity, or you can't take away his deity and just talk about his humanity. That is the spirit of Antichrist. And it's, it's abounding everywhere. You'd be amazed. Just go on the internet and, and type in Christ, or, or type in Jesus, or, or and you'll be amazed at the different avenues of thinking and philosophy that there is. And John's saying, I'm writing here to tell you, you know the truth, but let me show you something. I want to tell you something. We don't want to be deceived, nor do we, we want to instruct those not to be deceived as well. You know, uh, and I say this for, for just putting it out there, how many of us could be equipped if our kids came to us and said, Dad, you know, uh, I, I heard this teaching and I really like it. And they start talking about, about Jesus, but they, but they deny that he's God. Will you be able to refute them? Will you be able to show them plainly that, that that is false teaching? That's what he's doing here. I love verse 21. He's not writing to me because I don't know it. He's writing because I do know the truth. He's telling me blatantly who, a lie, who the liar is. And it has to do with Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus. He is Antichrist, who deceives, or excuse me, who denies the Father and the Son. 
This lays the groundwork for all things. Listen to what Jesus said in John 5, 23. That all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father which sent him. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever, the Father says of his Son. We could go on. All the Christological passages in the Old Testament, the Psalms alone. He who has the Father has the Son also. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. Jesus says in John 15, He that hath, oh, excuse me, he that hates my Father hates me also. He that hates me hates my Father. He equates abiding and not knowing and, and calling a liar and not loving, you know. In 2 John, we'll see when we get there, John makes an astounding statement. 2 John 9, he says, Whoever transgresses and abides not in the doctrine of Christ has not God. So we start to see here, there is an understanding of Jesus Christ. And that understanding puts us in a position in Him. Not only of, of privilege, brethren, but a responsibility. I love that. <laughs> uh, let me just uh, get a little ahead of myself and, and just point out a few things. You know, in John chapter 14, we all know that wonderful chapter. That's where Jesus first brings out the truth that he's, he's coming back for his own and so forth. But listen to this. Jesus said, if you had known me, you would have known my Father. From now on, you know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. Suffice us. Jesus said, have I been with you so long that you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Then if that were enough, he goes on to say, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is me, or else believe me for the very works sake themselves. What did he tell John? Remember when John was in prison, and John says, You know, wait a minute, I, you know, I mean, <laughs> things aren't going too good here. I'm the herald of the, Lord, herald of the Lord, you know, one crying in the wilderness, but now I'm in prison. Uh, and he sent his disciples to say, are you the one for we to look for, or should there be another one? What did Jesus say? Jesus did not chide him. I love the Lord Jesus, because he is so, well, he's my God. But he says, you go back and you tell John that you see him. The dead are raised, only what God can do. The blind see, the deaf uh, hear, the lame speak, and the gospel is preached to the poor. The Bible is replete and out, All ye the ends of the earth, come to me and be saved. The Lord looked and you searched, there was no man, no man that would intercessor, so his own arm brought salvation. We could go on and on. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
both fully human and fully God, come to redeem us from our sins. And I love that. Abiding in Him. Wow. So verse 23, again, whoever denies the Son does not have the Father also. Now verses 24 through 27, I want you to note, Six times from verses 24 to 27, John talks about abides or abiding. He also talks about it once in the next verse, verse 28. But the reason why I bring that up is because I think it's a pretty important subject, and I think it's showing the fact that those who are a liar and deny that Jesus is the Christ. They're not only, they not only have false doctrine of the spirit of Antichrist, but they certainly are not abiding in him as children. Look at verse 24. Therefore, let that abide in you, which you have heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will abide in the Father and in or excuse me, in the Son and in the Father. Abides. Now remember, he's going to talk about how many times he is, is the word abiding is, is important to him. It's important to us. It's important to the Father. Because see, Jesus said, without me you can't do nothing. You can't do nothing. Therefore, let that abide, verse 24, in you, which you've heard from the beginning. You know, Paul was, was talking to uh, the Galatians. And by the way, that was the first epistle that he wrote. He was talking about, right away, the perversion of the gospel. Now, it's amazing to me that the one who has got his revelations from, from the Lord himself, his first epistle would be talking about, there's going to be people that, that are going to pervert this good news. And he makes a statement, you know, uh, let me just read it real quick because I don't want to ever uh, quote anything out of, out of context. Anyway, he's writing to the Galatians and he says to them, he says, there are some that would pervert the gospel of Christ. He's marveling that so many are turning away so soon from him who called you in by the grace of Christ to a different gospel. This is chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. Which is not another, but there are some who would trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Now, obviously, he, in this context of this letter, he's talking about works mixed with grace. Here, John is talking about, uh, you know, believing in, that Jesus is the Christ, you know. But, but one other thing I want to show here is that uh, Paul says that even if we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you that... What we have preached to you, let him be a curse. As I said to you before, if anybody else preaches what different from what you heard in the beginning from us, let him be accursed. This is what John is saying here. Hey, you know what? From the beginning, you've known these things. Again, I'm not writing you because you don't know them, but you do know them. It abides in you from the beginning. This is what we, we need to adhere to. 
what is the beginning? Well, we can we can look at the beginning in the in the Bible language. We have several beginnings. One beginning, you know, in the beginning of the Bible, in the beginning. But John also starts his gospel uh, in the beginning, and he also starts his first letter about the beginning. Jesus Christ is the beginning. The knowledge of Christ is the beginning. The knowledge of who he is is the beginning. Hence, no other foundation can be laid other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. It's the beginning. And we're called to abide in the beginning. What we have heard. Again, with that understanding, again, look at verse 24. Therefore, let that abide in you. In other words, let it resonate in you. Let it flourish in you. Let it live in you. Let it grow in you. Let it resonate in you, if you will. Let that abide in you which you've heard from the beginning. If what you've heard from the beginning abides in you, if that abides in you, guess what? You're going to abide in the Son and in the Father. It is a very logical understanding. This is love of telling the truth. You know, the Father is so wonderful in, in, in securing us in giving us of his spirit, letting us know truth from error. I don't like to be sucker punched. I don't like to be lied to. I don't like to be deceived. You know, and and there's so often that we we hear things about you know the word of God or whatever, and they sound good. I remember one time years ago, my my wife was listening to a station on the way to work, and and uh, she was listening to this guy, and it sounded good. But it, but it, in the end, it wasn't good. You know? How many times, think about it, if you go to church every Sunday, how many Sundays are there in a the year? 52. So if you just go to church on every Sunday, you have 52 messages a year. Let's say the messages are only an hour long. You have 52 hours of something and if you go to if you go on a Sunday and a Wednesday, double that. What I am saying, plus not only that, but the books we read, the sermons that we hear, there are a lot. That's a lot of stuff out there. Well, first of all, to grow in our Christ, we got to get back to the beginning, and we got to build upon that foundation. The foundation is Christ, and leave the growth to Him. Leave it to Him. That's that's the whole understanding of this. I get so excited about this because, you know, I'm not a very, uh, my dad used to say, if you have avenues, use them all. You know, he, that's all he left me with. And sometimes I'm going, I don't know what avenue to use. You know, and it's very confusing sometimes. Jesus never, ever leaves us with that. I want to read something. If you want to turn to John chapter 15. And let's just enjoy these passages together because remember remember the passage. Keep your, your thumb in 1 John. You know, if you heard from the beginning that which abides in you, and we, you know, and, and think about that. Think about that very hard about the beginning. And use that vernacular of the beginning. Think about what the beginning really is. Not only the beginning of the, of, of the gospel, of the message, but the beginning himself, which is Jesus Christ. The Word of God made flesh and dwelt among us. 
So we, we, we read again, just to refresh our minds real quick. If you, you're sitting there, John 15, let me go back and read just real quick. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you also abide in the Father and in the Son. Listen to this, though. I, I, I'll go on in the next verse. Keep, keep in, in John there. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. We've talked about that. Now, back in John 15. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Look at verse 4. Abide in me. Here we go. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I am him bears little fruit, much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Listen, folks, there's a lot of people out there that call themselves Christians. There are a lot of people out there that, that will give you a message from Satan. It's the ones that are abiding in Christ, the ones that receive his word and abide in him. Look at what he says in verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. My, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will prove to me my disciples. Now back in 1 John, John knew Christ intimately, by the way. It's obvious. Leaned against his breast. See, that's what that's what I think a lot of us need to learn how to do. Do you lean against your Savior's breast, so to speak? Are you that comfortable with him? Can you just lay yourself against him and just say, Lord? I hurt today. Lord, I'm upset today. Lord, I don't understand today. Or, Lord, I am so overjoyed, I can't believe that, that you have given me everything. And just Or just lay before him. A lot of times, you can't say anything. Because you're so... Uh, you're so joyed in his presence. Can you lean against his breast, so to speak? That's what abiding in him means. Abiding in Him means we are so comfortable with Him that He is our life and we are satisfied with that. We will seek no other life other than the life that pleases Him. Jesus said it. Father, I do all things that please you. All things that please the Father. But this abiding, John says that if this abiding abides in you, you're going to abide in the Son and the Father. And he says, and not only that, this is the promise that he's promised us, eternal life. Does God go back on his promises? You know, I am so longing, uh, not only for several reasons, but to, to see him. Not only as he is, but, but to allow this church age to be over with. Excuse me, because Christ's words, and I want to see his whole word be vindicated. And it will. I don't have to do it. 
All I have to do is speak the truth, but there are so many people that malign it. There are so many people that say God will do something, and God never says he would do it. God, people say, you know, if you're abiding in Christ or you're truly Christian, you can lose your salvation. Did God ever say that? Or that's just an example. God's word is what he says. I don't care what I think it says. I better know what it says. Or I have no business giving you a bunch of opinions and falsifying a document that I'm going to held accountable for. And that's what John's doing right here. He's saying, I'm going to tell you something. We're going to go back to the beginning. Okay? What you heard from the beginning. Okay? And then we're going to build from there. And all the apostles do this. The apostle Paul, the apostle Peter, Jesus himself. I am the cornerstone, he said to the religious people. I'm it. I'm the cornerstone. And you people have rejected it. And now you're telling me, you're coming to me on the doctrines and precepts of men. That's the understanding here. And we need to understand that God is the one that lays down the foundation, not we. We're to abide in it. We're to receive it. We're to cause it to allow its growth to happen in us. And by the way, he throws in that this is a promise of eternal life because that's where growth comes from, eternal life. If we don't have eternal life in us, we have no fruit that glorifies the Father. None. And John says, I know you know this, and that's why I'm writing to you. He says in verse 26, These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. Deceive you. Wow, that's wonderful. You mean I can be deceived? Yes. You mean there's deception out there? Yes. One of the things that, that is a, a joy about reading the Bible through and through from cover to cover is that we know that deception, where it came from. We don't have to think, gosh, you know, Joe Bob over here thinks he knows the truth and poor guy because, you know, whatever. We know where ultimate deception comes from way back in the garden. The first deception known to man, again, was spiritual deception. Yea, hath God really said, hey, come on, you, no, wait a minute, wait. You're trying to tell me that a guy, okay, I understand that Jesus was born, he's in all this stuff. You, God? You, you're telling me that he's God? You're telling me that one man 2,000 years ago can, could, could forgive me of my sin? No, I'm not telling you that at all. I'm telling you that Jesus Nazareth is perfect man and perfect God. He proved it by the life that he lived. He went to the cross. He paid the penalty for your mind sin. He proved it again by raising from the dead. And he lives. And he's coming back. But you, little children, you abide what you heard from the beginning, what you know, and you know what? You abide in him, and there's going to become ones that are going to try to deceive you more and more and more as the time goes on. Look at verse 27. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you and concerning all things, and is true and is not a lie, just as it has taught you, you shall abide in him. Now, here's where proper understanding of the word of God is, is so practical. I have had, I, <laughs> I have had people tell me, 
That's proof that I don't need anybody to teach me. Well, first of all, that goes against what the Word of God says. The second of all, if that's true, then Paul really mistakenly wrote the fourth chapter of Ephesians about apostles and prophets and all that. And the secondly, Jesus must have been deluded when he had to teach the disciples in the upper room that all things that were written was concerning himself. But nonetheless, this teaches two things that we have learned in context in just 1 John. Number one, the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. Anyone to teach you what? Teach you that what you have heard from the beginning is true. Jesus Christ is God. When you were born again, there was nobody that had to come into your life and say, Pam, you know what? Let me tell you something. Jesus is God. You knew. And the, the other thing that he's, he's showing here is that this anointing from the Holy Spirit teaches us to abide in Him. Look at the context. Take this context and go through just the epistles of John alone. Go back to John, or you know, the all of it, or not the all of discourse, but go back to John 13, 14, 15, and 16, and see what Jesus was talking about. We can't go to John 17 because he said that probably is high priest of prayer in the garden. But nonetheless, we go to those chapters and we see in context that two things that we're talking about here. The anointing teaches us to, to you know, we know from the beginning. Well, you heard from the beginning abides in you, but the Spirit himself also teaches us the fact to abide in him. We don't need a teacher to say, you need to walk with Christ you know, we, we have admonitions, we have, we have encouraging, we have messages like, you know, this morning or what have you. But the Spirit himself, to a born-again one, says, you are to walk in him. You are to abide in him. He simply wrote this, it is clear from this passage that the Holy Spirit teaches us to abide in Christ. The importance of being filled with the Spirit, like Paul says in Ephesians 5.18, is obvious. If we're admonished to abide in Christ by the Spirit himself, isn't it obvious and so telling when Paul says, Be ye filled with the Spirit? The Spirit-filled life is the abiding life it is profitable. In practical ways, I just want to say just a few of them. The abiding in Christ is profitable and practical for husbands. Truly love and care for their wives. To walk in, in Jesus Christ to truly please the Father. Abiding in Christ and being filled with the Spirit is indicative to be uh, victoriously to enter into the spiritual warfare that Paul talks about in, in, in Ephesians 6. And finally, it is only logical to be filled with the Spirit and abiding Him to finally be the kind of ambassadors for Christ that is well-pleasing to God. These are some of the areas that 
that why it is so important not only to abide in Him, but to be filled with Him. And being filled with the Spirit teaches us to abide in Him. You can't get around it. All of the apostles and Jesus Himself, it is important and it is imperative to be filled with the Spirit. We dare not go into spiritual warfare not being filled with the Spirit. Because if we're not filled with the Spirit, we're not willing the Spirit of God, which is the Word of God. We're not putting on the armor of God. To be filled with the Spirit is not truly loving our mate and putting their interests before us. Not being filled with the Spirit is very difficult to walk pleasing to the Father. And again, the last one I want to mention, if you're taking notes, the last part of not, it's, it's very difficult, if not if impossible, to be the kind of ambassadors for Christ that is well-pleasing to Him. So this anointing teaches us these things. Wow, what a difference we're going to see when we get into chapter 3. <laughs> chapter 3 becomes very, very much in focus when we understand the last part of chapter 2 and the abiding in Him and the knowing Him, the being filled with the Spirit. And, and it, it, when it's contrast against the sin of, of, of the child uh, of Satan, which he does continually, can't help it, versus God. It is very apparent. We want to know. And I'll end this morning at verses 28 and 29. Let's read those two verses. And now, little children, I love little children. Verse 18, little children. Verse 28, little children. We will use this word elsewhere. Abide in Him. That when He appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming or shrink away at His coming. Now he's going to say here that, that because, you know, we won't be you know, will be left behind. He's not saying that. He's not involving fear here. He's writing to his little children. Isn't that the part of upbringing sons, fathers, is that they want to do things that won't bring shame? Read the Proverbs. Listen to the instruction of a father. Don't forget the law of thy mother. Wrap them around your neck. Okay? They're the rejoicing, rejoicing in my heart when my sons do what is right. It's rejoicing. It is something that, that a, a, a child to their parent, is a good parent, teaches. I don't want you to be ashamed of your life. I want you to be confident, and so on and so forth. This is what, this is what we're looking at here. Abide in Christ. So that when He appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. I want to read that passage again real quick, um, because it is, it is uh, so much parallel to these understandings. If then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Do we all agree that we've been raised with Christ? We all agree. Okay? We have a position in the heavenlies that's our inheritance. 
We've been raised with Christ. God looks at us that way. And he admonishes, hey, since these things have been, seek those things which are above. Go about Christ's business, not your own. He'll take care of you. Are you a better provider than Christ? If somebody says yes, they're pretty bold because you're pretty boldly wrong. Nobody, nobody that can provide better than our Heavenly Father. He even feeds the birds. He even clothes the little flowers in the field. They don't got to sit here and sweat. Try to, you know, he even clothes them. How much more is he going to clothe you? How much more is he going to take care of you? Read Matthew chapter 6, for example. Nobody can provide better than God for you. So if we've been raised with Christ, we are to seek things above where Christ is seating at the right hand of God. By the way, that's our position. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life appears. You will be appeared to the glory. So he's saying, and now, little children, after I've written to you these briefly, these brief, by the way, I can't say, now that I've written to you things in chapter 2, because when this is written, there was no chapter divisions. <laughs> no chapters and no verses. This, this was a letter written, uh, a serious letter, a loving letter. And by the way, after you have read this letter, circulate this letter around. It's important. Make sure you get the memo. You know, we used to do at work. You know, make sure everybody gets it. It's important. Now we seem to say, well, I, gee, my version doesn't say that. So, you know, now let's, uh, let's get into the, the word and the spirit of the Lord and read the word of God and pass it around, so to speak, in our own life. We are living epistles, so to speak. Little children, abide in him. That when he appears, you may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Well, to write that, Obviously, there are going to be those that are ashamed at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, here's where he starts. Actually, if I had a division of, of this letter, I would have started chapter 3, verse 29. But nonetheless. If you know that he is righteous... You know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Now that's the gateway of to, to chapter three. If we understand this and we, and we and we link chapter or verse 29 to the rest of that chapter, we start understanding here that there is a, a life that is lived that is indicative of one that is abiding in Christ. One that is doing his business and abiding in him, being filled with the Spirit, being the ambassadors that, that is well-pleasing to God. You know that he's righteous because we've been to the beginning. We know him who is from the beginning. Isn't that what this Bible book first started out? Look at chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen in their eyes, which we have looked upon, our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifest, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which is with the Father and was manifested to us. And he goes right into the fact of fellowship. Look at that. 
from verse 2 and verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, which clear to you, that you may also have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And these things will write to you that your joy may be full. That's what abiding in Christ is, brethren, having fellowship with God, intimate, close, union, fellowship with God. He never leaves you or forsakes you. Everything you do, you do that's well-pleasing to Him. You'd be, you'd be the type of person that he redeemed you to be. If you know, verse 29, that he is righteous. You know, it's the same language. If, if you have problems understanding, well, wait a minute. If you know, look at how Paul starts out. Uh, we just read it, Colossians chapter 3. If then... It's not going, well, really, are you really? No, it's saying, if the fact you are, then live this way. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices, oh, I did my good deed for the day. That's not what this means. As the, as the child without Christ, still in his sins, governed by the old sinful nature, there's no other way he can walk but adversely. Now that the one who's controlled and filled with the Spirit of God, there's no other way he can walk other than righteously. There is, a, there is an avenue that we must understand, right and wrong, true and false. Abide in him, brethren. Make it your aim. Make him your first love. Run the race as if to win. Because all are running it, whether they, whether they think it or not. They're all attaining something. I was reading about Nirvana the other day. The state of, uh, to a, a Hindu uh, and so forth. It's a state of, well, first of all, they say they get to that state, a blissful state, it's a state of nothingness, where the pleasure and and, uh, and hurt and everything else are, are nil. It's a state of nothingness. They will go and have thousands of gods to acquire this state. They will listen to all these, all these uh, men of the East that claim to be men of God, God-men, all these things, all these philosophies and all that but they can never, ever answer the sin issue. They can never deal with the real problem. But we know what the truth is. Because we let that abide in us that was from the beginning. We know the truth. And Jesus said the truth will set you free. And Father, I thank you for this message this morning. Lord, I pray that as those that listen to it, think about it, well, they would search the scriptures to see if what you say is true. What they've heard is true. I pray that we all listen with eager anticipation, but that we would go more eagerly with more anticipation back to your word and search the scriptures to see if these things are so. I thank you for the love. Even sometimes when we don't think about it, we don't understand it, we don't dwell upon it, we forget about it. But Lord, you never forget about us. 
You are loving us beyond imagination. And Father, by that understanding, I want to know your word. I want to know Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection, being conformed unto his death. Not that I've obtained anything now, but I this I do. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Some people think, and some people might have this grasp of this truth for the first time. I pray that we would listen to the Spirit of God as He teaches us Your Word. And I thank You for it. I thank You for this day, Father, and I praise You in Jesus' name. Amen. Cam wants to...